You know, part of doing this, if you ever want to do this, you get you get a little bit of freedom. I mean, whenever you get to talk, you got people you have to listen to you. You're not having a conversation with them. You're just you're like the dentist that he's asking you questions. You blah, 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 blah. Um, so anyway, my freedom today is going to, before the message, I'm going to preach a sermon. And it, uh, actually, it's somewhat of a, a eulogy because I lost a good friend this week as well. And there's a point to this. Just bear with me a minute. But uh, his name was Dr. Ben Irvin. And uh, he used to live where Rob and Rayanne live right now. And I met Ben in the early 80s. And he was a guidance counselor at City Lake Grade School. And Ben was uh, about three-fourths Cherokee. And um, we had a mutual interest in life. And that was Native Americans and American history. And through my association with him, it allowed me to do things in my life that I normally would have never, ever done or ever gotten to. Uh, ben was best friends with Cliff Nelson. I don't know if any people here have heard of Cliff. Cliff was an eighth grade teacher in Sea Lake that was brutally murdered in his own home. Both of Ben and Cliff were rangers at Custer Battlefield together. So they had a mutual interest there. But through Ben's, through my association with Ben, after he left the Sea Lake area, he became principal superintendent at a variety of reservational towns in Montana and Wyoming. And because of that, my association with him, he invited me to teach Indian kids how to trap and how to become self-employed. So I would go to these different reservations and I'd held a clinics for, for kids that were interested. 90% unemployment on the reservation. Kids have plenty of ways, if they're just taught how to do something, make their own money. So I've been to the Rapaho Reservation, to the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, to the Crow Reservation, and this was all because of Ben's doing. And he had a special empathy, of course, for Native Americans. And he tried to always enter into my mind an Indian doesn't think like you do. He has a different way of thinking. And because you judge them by whatever you see, maybe the half a dozen junk cars, they're not, they're not Anglo-Saxon whites. They think differently. So he, he opened up my realm of knowledge, and he always stood up for Native Americans wherever he was at, however he could. And it really enriched my life. And my point here is, when you have a special relationship as a friend with someone, whether it's a loved one, a next of kin, or whatever, don't wait till they're gone to tell them how much that means to you. I don't have too many, or I've never had too many friends that were in the academic field and to have that and be able to enter into that field and do something useful in life was really important to me so when I look back at what all he shared with me uh, it was it's vitally important that we all tell each other how much we appreciate what they bring into our lives 
and I never got the chance with Ben. But I would like to share with you one thing that a little story anecdote that Ben would told me uh, that may make you smile, and that it has something to do with somewhat about the whole idea of how an Indian thinks and how you think or whatever. An Indian walked into a bank and he needed a loan. And he went up to the banker and he asked, you know, I need 500 bucks. And the banker puffed himself up and he goes, well, chief, do you have any collateral? Do you have any security? He says, got 200 horses. And the banker goes, well, I guess that'll, that'll work. Okay, so he loaned him the $500. And three months later, the Indian came back in the bank and he reached into his shirt pocket and he brought out a big roll of 100s. And he counted out one, two, three, four, five, and the interest and handed it to the banker. And the banker looked at that big wad and he goes, hey, We could, uh, you wanna leave that money here? We could do something good for you with that. You wanna leave this money here at the bank? And the Indian looked back at him and got, how many horses you got? <laughs> anyway, today's scripture, if you wanna read along. Proverbs three. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart, for they give you a long and satisfying life. Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them like a necklace. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will gain a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then you will gain renewed health and vitality. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats with overflow with the finest wine. My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. Don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Happy is the person who finds wisdom and gains understanding. For the profit of wisdom is better than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you and, and down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her happy or her happy are those who will hold her tightly. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth birthed forth, and the clouds poured down rain. 
You ever hear anybody say to you occasionally, if it's the Lord's will, this will happen? Or I'm trying to live by God's will. What, what does that mean? What, what, is, what is God's will for your life? Do you have any idea? Um, are you living it? You got any clue? Do I, are you walking in the same shadow that you cast for a decade or so, not changing much? What is God's will? Is there really a distinct meaning to God's will? Or you just get it deciphered on your own? What does he see exactly that you're doing each day that makes him proud? And how do you hear his voice when all this racket from the 21st century is around us. There are fundamental principles God has given you to help prepare for a meaningful life. God has promised to act as a guide and help you find a plan and a trial. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it gives you two fundamental principles right there that are prerequisites to finding out what is God's will for my life? Number one, trust the Lord. The writer of Proverbs says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Some translations say, trust God from the bottom of your heart. And it promises that you will find God when you seek the Lord, when you seek the Lord with all your heart. You just don't pay peripheral knowledge to him. You seek him with everything you got. Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek me and find me when you do it with all your heart. God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet when he said, for I know the plans I have for you. There are plans to give you hope and a future. God then is trustworthy. You remember that commercial years, a few years back that begins with a young little girl standing in the middle of this beautiful picturesque meadow. And the camera then pans to another part of the meadow where it shows a gigantic African rhino. And the ominous beast begins a lethal charge toward this little girl. And her serene and happy face looking at this rhino coming never changes she just keeps smiling and as the rhino gets closer and closer the words appear on the screen trust is not being afraid in a split second before the rhino tramples the helpless child it stops dead and the girl, real slowly, reaches out and pets the animal on its majestic horn. And that final words appear, even when you are vulnerable. That's a commercial that was used to promote the abilities of an insurance company to protect its clients from the uncertainties of life. But how much more does it describe the person who trust the Lord. That person can say with the with psalmist, I will say this of the Lord. He is my refuge 
and my fortress. He is my God in whom I trust. So human nature tells you to doubt and not trust God. Many of us by nature are skeptical. Some of us don't, like me, don't trust computers or technological gadgets. We check the grocery receipt to make sure they added up everything. I always remember about my dad. This was before, this is a, this is a traits of a great Dutchman. Back before the areas of barcodes and you'd scan something and it bring it up, you know, the checker had to manually punch in the 89 cents. And he'd come home from the grocery store with one of those receipts that was about that long. And after the groceries got put away, he sat down with that thing and went over it one by one to see that they charged him 79 cents instead of, you know, a dollar ten. <clears throat> that I don't know what I don't know I don't ever remember him going back to the store, but that was a routine with him. The first re prerequisite to knowing God's will is his plan to trust him with all your heart. And then while you're doing that, don't lean on your own understanding. God has given each of us the privilege of either choosing to trust the Lord for wisdom or trust our own wisdom. If you are to know and experience God's plan for your life, you need to turn to him for guidance and not second guess at your own preconceived knowledge. In James 1, it says, don't try to figure out things on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, in everything you do, everywhere you go. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Well, what is God's will in heaven? If it's the same as it is on earth. It's pretty simple to hear. It's not so simple to carry out. His will is for you and I to put him first. His will is for us to give him praise and adoration when we live. To give him praise and adoration when we live. For all he has done and he will do. His will is for men not to bicker, not to rape, not to murder, not to lie and cheat, not to disparage others but to work for peace on earth. If you don't see that in action with any individual, you're not seeking God's will. His will is to have no suffering, no pain, and to be joyful. No injustice. Not justice for the rich and then justice for the poor. One justice. The life God means for us to have as Christians is radically different from the common experiences in this world. The world says the self-centered life is the best life to lead. The prevailing message of this world is like a repeating circle. Me, me, me. To that end, to satisfy that in all of us, the world encourages you to do, do, do and buy, buy, buy. Be that all you can be by taking care of me, myself, and I. And this is directly opposite, directly opposite 
of what the Bible says. The life presented in the New Testament is in sharp contrast to the headlines we hear on commercials. In Philippians 4, Paul, he, what he does is he emphasizes a quality of life that flows from having one thing, to move from being self-centered, that one thing is a meaningful relationship with Jesus. God's will in it is to give you his love and salvation. Working on jobs all the time, I spent a lot of time with extension ladders. And one of the things I like to think about sometimes is God's plan for you, if you can envision it's an extension ladder coming down from heaven down to earth. And right at the bottom of the extension ladder is one rung. And he says, grab that rung. Grab that bottom rung on that ladder and start trying to wake your way up to it slowly but surely in life. And the world below your feet, as you got a hold of that ladder, the world below your feet going, ignore that ladder. Ignore it. You're an idiot to believe that stuff. Everybody knows that man created God, not the other way around. Not, God is not willing, it says in the Bible, that anybody, that anybody should perish. But that all should come to him for repentance. It says in 2 Peter, that again is his will. None should perish. He wants you to grab that ladder. Do you have an earth-induced headache? Are you burned out on, of all things, religion? He says, grab my hand, and I'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. You walk with me. You work with me. You watch how I did things and how I am doing things. And those people whose lives trust me. Learn the rhythm of my grace. I won't saddle you with something that is too heavy or it will rub your withers raw by not fitting right. If you keep company with me on a regular basis, sit down and talk to me on a man-to-man -man level on a regular basis, you'll learn to live freely, to live lightly, to live with a grin on your face so the people around you will wonder what you're up to. You know, people have a tendency to listen to only what they want to hear. The Bible even tells that. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. In Ezekiel, God complained, you live among rebels who could see the truth. Does this sound familiar? who could see the truth if they wanted to, but they don't want to. They could hear me if they would listen, but they won't listen because they are rebellious. This was written 2,600 years ago. Does it sound familiar? God knew people would be like that. And that is why in scripture it says over and over and over and over again, listen to me, hear me, O Israel. Listen to me. Jesus said, my sheep, what do they do? They hear my voice, and I know them. And also that he that has ears, let him hear. 
I heard a friend tell a story about his uncle one time. He said his uncle became harder and harder of hearing as he got older in life. But he was really, he just couldn't bring himself to go get a hearing aid. He just thought that was just like, oh, man, that's, you're giving in if you do that. But finally he heard about a hearing aid. You couldn't even see it in the air. It's almost invisible. And not only that, what he really liked about it was that it allowed you to hear somebody's voices when there was lots of other noise in the room. I remember, remember Bob and Jewel that used to be here. Bob had a hearing aid, and every time he ever wanted to talk to me personally, he'd bring me out on the front porch and said, because I can't hear anything in, the, in that noise when, when you're talking back. So anyway, the doctor fitted in with the hearing aid, Mom, his uncle told him, and he, he, the doctor said, you need to come back in a couple weeks, and I need to adjust it for you, and you need to tell me how it's working for you. And he did that, and he said, he came back after two weeks, and he said, well, how's it working out? He said, it's great. It's, it's way beyond what I ever thought it would be good. He said, I can actually hear people's voices when there's eight people's talking in the room, and I got a big family, and I can hear them all talk. And the doctor said, I bet your family is a lot happier now that you can hear them too. And he said, his uncle said, I haven't told them, but I've changed my will three times. <laughs> God wants us to hear and listen because he wants to bless us. But he can't do that. He can't do that if you don't listen. What probably stands in the road to seeing and knowing God's will more than any one thing, any one thing, is a simple word. It's pride. You know, it says, we, I want to change. I want to be good, but later, not now. We know best what we, what we need right now. You know, there's some things we want to do be, before we are willing to give ourselves to doing what God wants us to do. Of all the people in the world, the proud have the most difficulty hearing the voice of God. They seldom seriously ask God's opinion because they are convinced they already know what God thinks. There exists a divine hindrance, so to speak. What am I talking about? Well, I mean to say God is repulsed, just like you are. Do you ever be around people that think they're better than you are or have a tremendous sense of pride? And you get sick of listening to these people. You get sick of being around them. You don't even want to talk to them anymore. One of the most sobering statements in the Bible to me is in Psalms 138.6. What does 138.6 say? Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, all us, but the proud he knows from afar. In other words, God is intimate with you, the humble, but he is on whispering terms at best with those that are proud. You know an example of this is when the disciples, what? They're starting to worry about Jesus' um, politically correctness. That's the best way I can say to put it. They're like, hey man, you're making waves here that we're never gonna be able to fix. And he's been, what they're worried about, he's careless 
that he think he's too careless in his treatment of the religious leaders of the time. What does Jesus tell them? Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now, doesn't that seem to be a little harsh? Since he said he came to heal the blind. But if you look carefully, Jesus doesn't reject them because they were spiritually blind, but rather because they were puffed up, because they were bloated. They were self-described leaders. They were in reality blind. Look at how Jesus reacted in comparison to folks, other folks when he's walking on earth. A Samaritan woman sitting at a well who is theologically mixed up and has as many husbands as fingers on your hand. He, he, he stirs up heartfelt guidance for her and direction for her. Another gal who is actually caught in the act of adultery does not repulse or embarrass him, but instead he stands his ground around, amongst the mob and he delivers of genuine love and compassion for her. But he was content to leave the Pharisees, to dismiss them with their prejudices and their blindness intact. You know, the Lord seldom will violate our prejudices. The man who thinks he knows something is left alone in his ignorance. Paul said the same to the Corinthians. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 700 years earlier, Isaiah said this, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. The ultimate tear of hell is not the intensity of its heat, but it's the absence of God's presence. Which everything reminds me of something, but for some reason that reminds me of an old Farside cartoon where the devil is leading eight new inhabitants into hell. And they're going down the hallway and they all look up at a sign that says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. No one will care about your problems in hell. God will not hear your pleas. Who will care about your problems? If you have religious pride, when we think or act like we are exclusive church members, or when we turn a deaf ear to other people's troubles, God leaves us alone, and we can barely hear his voice. God will give you, guide your life. He will make your path straight when you trust in him and turn to him for guidance. He will clear the trail ahead of you of all those wind-blowed snags that are in the way, and he'll show you around the muddy, long, deep stretches in the trail. Abraham, for instance, he didn't know the specific details of God's will, but the one assurance he did have was as he obeyed God, God said, 
guess what? I will bless you. Isn't that where you and I want to be? You can just imagine that folks that lived down the road that were Abe's neighbors, the ones that heard him, helped him do chores, whatever, and they're saying to him, hey, Abe, why are you packing? I'm moving. Well, where are you going to? I don't know. What do you do when you get there? I don't know yet. Why are you moving? God's told me to. That's incredible, Abe. You mean to tell me you're going to follow God and you don't even know where you're going? Listen, he said, when I follow God, I don't know where I'm going. I just trust that he knows the coordinates. It has been wisely said it is better to follow the Lord and not know exactly where you're going than to think you know where you're going and not be following the Lord. One of my favorite passages in Scripture illustrates what God is saying to us about trusting him and clearing the path ahead for us. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope lies in the Lord will what? They'll find new strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. In every stage of your life, God believe it or not, has your best interest in mind. God loves you. He continues to do so each minute you live. He wants us to live the life he created us to live. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and he will make your path straight. Gene Copenhaver's favorite what is God's will? You know, it's not so hard to figure it out if you read the Bible. But sometimes it's pretty hard to carry out. Sometimes we get wax in our ears. It's about this thick. And sometimes we puff up because we know so much. And we start to resemble weak old roadkill. We think we know best, and we know what's right for us. And others, are, we, we even think we know what's right for other people. We put God in a box, under the bed, and we drag him out when we are too tired from work, or play, or life in general, to do anything else. Or when we're hurt, or we need help with a problem. And then we cry. And then we whine because we can't seem to get his attention or hear his voice. And it sure seem, he sure seems lately to be turning a deaf ear to all of my problems. Discovering God's will and doing it isn't a destination. It's a journey. 
I look at my life and I look at trying to figure out what God's will and what I, 15, 20 years ago and what I do, it's a completely changed. But it shows a history at least of trying. And in order to do that, there'll be times when our world will be rocked and we'll get slapped upside the head and it'll sting and our noses will get bloodied. In order that we then take our eyes off of everything down here in the world and start thinking about eternity. And then we put our faith and resolution into the things that are eternal, not the things that are just temporary here. Our job, then, in a nutshell, is to trust God. And his part is to direct our paths and guide us. As we trust him, we have to do it wholeheartedly, without pride or the path. If we do it with pride, the path will get full of weeds and rocks, and it'll be hard to tell where the trail even runs anymore. Every Christian, if they call themselves a Christian, should want to know what God's will is for their lives, to be in the center of it. That's always, like they say in Montana, the last best place to be. It's the place to be blessed by God, to be cared for by God, to be protected by God, to be provided for by him. And that is the awesome God that when you sit there and sing those songs, that's the awesome God we're talking about. Who could have won anything more? Lord, every one of us sitting here today leans on our own understanding a lot more than we probably want to admit it. And sometimes when we think you're not listening, we think it's your fault. But then if we sit there and honestly look at how we've lived or how much we prayed or how much we've actually sought you to give us answers, the finger goes right back to us. Because I know when I have trusted you the most in my life, the answer was a whole lot cleaner and to me than any time when I didn't. I just pray today, Lord, that each and every one of us, that our faith grows stronger, our trust grows stronger, and that even though it's easy right now, this particular day, for each and every one of us to have our heart hanging down by our belly about all the events surrounding us, worldly, domestically, 
And each one of us wants to crawl into a closet at a time and shut it all off. But you've told us that we have to keep trying, that we, the race goes on. And that if we trust you, these things will pass away. I ask that you help each and every one of us because we need help bad. And we are created in your image. We know that. But our hearts sometimes falter. We ask just then that the blues do not overwhelm us. That we can enlighten ourselves with what you have promised us in this word and live new each day. I thank you for everybody that's here today and ask that you go out with them when they leave here today to be good examples for everyone else that they come across in their life, whatever they do, which is hard. I ask you to give us the strength. In Jesus' name, amen.